Okay. I told you I'd look at some Proverbs, and um, I've got one. We're going to look at seven things that God despises and uh, talk about that a little bit and see what you think about it. What I like to tell people when you're reading Scripture, there's a couple ways to read it and study it. You can read it historically and just get the history behind it. You can read and look at Scripture and see if it fits your belief system. In other words, you're looking to uh, for Scripture to reassure you what you believe. Or you can read it for what it is and let it reveal God to you. The best way to read it is with an open mind. Uh, when I started seminary and started really studying the Word and stuff, they... They kept throwing out this word called presuppositions. And I had to think on that a little bit. What are you, what are you talking about, presuppositions? The old professor, he sat up there and he told us, he said, Now look, we've all got ideas what we think God looks like, how he acts, and we've learned that through your life. The problem is, some of that that we've learned is not true. Some of it's based on hearsay. Some of it's based on myth. Some of it's based on truth. But when you begin to study the Word, you need to allow yourself to, to be totally open-minded to let God speak to you in... Um, in in his own way about who he is. And uh, so try not to try not to let your your belief system dictate um, how you read scripture. In other words, Don't try to formulate what Scripture's saying to match you. Let it shape you. Because what you understand about God may not even be true. Um, I know right after I got saved, I'd always heard the Scripture that Detroit engines were uh, mentioned in the Bible. And um, so I got to looking for it. It talked about the screaming beast. And, uh, you know, I never did find that um, because it wasn't there. And then there was that other favorite scripture a lot of people, they said, well, God helps those who help themselves. My favorite scripture. No, it's not in there. You know, uh, there's a lot of things people quote and say is in scripture that's not. Well, the best thing to do is for you to read and study. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 16. My assistant would be soon pulling that scripture up. Look at that. Well-trained. 
I don't know what he's well trained for, but he's well trained. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. I can't really explain to you why Solomon wrote this in such a way that there's six and then there's seven, but what he's saying basically here is there's seven things that God really hates. And when he uses the word abomination, this is representative of he detests. Literally, it makes him sick for these things to happen. That that It's totally contrary to anything godly. Uh, it's, a, it's a condemnation to that kind of behavior because of the destruction it brings. So when... Whenever you see things that are an abomination, that's some of the most severe things a person can do. And, and, it, and if you go to Leviticus and look at the things listed as an abomination, the penalty for those is usually death because those sins destroy society. There are certain sins that are destroy you, hurt you. There are sins that will hurt your family, but then there's certain sins that literally destroy an entire society, and that punishment is the greater of all punishment. And, and nearly every one of them uh, requires the death penalty. And you may say, well, that's, that's harsh. you got to understand this about God. He knows the dangers of all of these sins. He knows the, the destruction that comes through that. And you'll find most of these major sins have been throughout Scripture and deal with all mankind. What's the first one? Haughty eyes. Who's got a King James translation? Anybody got a King James? New King James? What did it say, Rhonda? Okay. Who's got a, a new uh, international? Anybody got a new international? Haughty. Yeah. Arrogant. Various description, but haughty's not a word that we tend to use very much. It's a more accurate description, but when you're looking for an English word of what Solomon's saying, he's dealing with that, that arrogance or that prideful. Why is that a danger? What what does that prideful huh? Okay. It, it's also a lie. And what I'm saying is it's when people are looking at themselves and seeing what they're not instead of for who they are. They're seeing what they think they are. You see this a lot with famous people that you know, think they're God's gift to the world. This afternoon while I came in from all that stuff and I was sitting there, Barbara watches a show and it's something and they had Jane Fonda and she's 84. And he's talking about her facelift and I'm sure it wasn't her first one. I mean, her face looks like she did when she was 30. And she's 84. Uh, 
looked real good for 84, but it's not her. Didn't have any gray hair or all that. But a lot of these people will never allow themselves just to be who they are. Have you ever met anybody that puts on a front instead of being their self? Uh, that pridefulness. And what you find out a lot is what you see is not what you get. And their life begins to reveal something different. So pridefulness in, in being overly prideful about yourself can lead you into a life of, uh, of destruction because you're unwilling to see your weaknesses, and we've all got some. Because when your weaknesses is how you find out how much God loves you and how much He's done for you. The hardest people to reach are somebody that's real smart or real arrogant because they don't need a Savior because we are the Savior. We are everything that we need. We are a blessing. This is called humanism. And that's very rampant today is that humans are their own God. The Romans were real good about that. If you ever got attained the, the, the title of Caesar, you were considered a God. Some of our, our famous actresses and actors think they're a God. They're so popular and, and everything. Some church members think they're close to being a God. Because they look down on various people. And it's real dangerous when God's church begins to look down on everybody without looking at themselves. Because they're not open to sharing the good news of Christ unless they meet their qualifications. And that's what's so unique about this church. Most people pretty honest with yourself and can come you're not judged based on what you're wearing other than one thing i did tell a guy at the rodeo the other day i said the only thing probably going to get you judged at our church you show up in a three-piece suit probably not going to fit in real good right there i said you can, may raise a few eyebrows but you show up any other way i said pretty well be accepted and I never realized how bad it was until we started this church and my wife was relieved because of all the years she was a pastor's wife and how so many women in churches judged her by the way she dressed. I've been married to the woman for 44 years and she's always dressed real conservatively. But I didn't realize how cruel people could be that, well, did she wear that last week too? Or, 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 you know, that's the wrong color for this time of the year. There's, I don't know what all, but it's sad when people look at people within it and they judge them based on what they're wearing. 
Tim Harrison. Everybody, if you've lived here very long, everybody, Tim Harrison. Y'all remember he and Patty one time, we were having a skit one Sunday. We faced that away then. And Patty got the dates mixed up. So she dressed Tim up, and she dressed up like a little hillbilly, and she showed up, and nobody knew. <laughs> she was embarrassed. I said, what are you embarrassed about, Patty? She said, we're supposed to dress like this next week. Oh, okay. Nobody really noticed. We <laughs> and I was pretty proud of that, I thought. Nobody said anything or got embarrassed and, uh, and stuff. Because they accepted them for who they were. And that's pretty unique, folks. If you've never been in very many churches, I'm telling you, it can be rough. But that's the that's the mindset. Or we don't want ex-cons or we don't want this or that or whatever to come here. That's not what God's church is supposed to be. God's church is supposed to be open that any sinner can come in, get saved, and their life be changed. Now, there are some guidelines. I'm not, you're not going to come up here with short shorts and a halter top. I'm saying we prefer you not dress like that. And, uh, and stuff. So it'd be nice to be decent. But, huh? Yeah. And, and stuff. But, you know, there needs to be decency. But, don't measure somebody's worthiness based on their clothes because their worthiness is what God sees is in the heart. And, and, and that's where we need to be. So that's why God hates that because of that. The second thing is the lying tongue. This is what I'll tell you about a lie that I've learned. You ever start lying, you'll keep on lying. And it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the next thing you know, you're believing the lies that you've told. And then you're forgetting what lies you have told. And you're telling another one. That sounds like a politician there. Because it's, I, I love it when they, they talk about somebody, a politician, says this today, and they say, we've got video. We know what you have said. But when you start lying, you're destroying the basis of truth. And when you destroy the truthfulness of who you are as a believer in Christ, you're destroying your testimony. And that's why I've always said, be careful about what you teach your children to believe in. Now, now, hear me closely on this. I'm not condemning Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, or any of that. But be careful how you teach them when you're going to turn around and teach them about Jesus, whom they can't see. We allowed our children to believe that, but we also allowed them to realize that we're a lot of these things. And it's come from... It's okay to believe that. It's okay for Halloween to dress up. I'm not uh, against dressing up. Kids love to do it. But teach them the difference. Because when you're going to teach them about Jesus, you're teaching them about somebody they can't see. 
And if you've lied to them and let them believe a lie throughout their life, all of a sudden they're going to begin to question who you're talking about. So if you'll kind of educate them, you can tell your kids the truth about Santa Claus and they're still going to want to sit in Santa Claus' lap. You, I promise you, I raised three of them and, and you know, I was worried about that because I, I remember when I found out you-know-who was not true. I was devastated. Somebody done lied to me. And I was a hard-headed little sucker. And I was almost fighting with this individual that was telling me it wasn't true. I was, I knew. And that kind of hung with me. And I thought about that. But lying, y'all know how deceptive it is. It destroys children. It destroys adults. It destroys your testimony. It destroys what people think about you. And they're watching you in a special law community. But God said, that's an abomination for you just to be a bald-faced liar. Uh, he, he hates that. He teaches you the truth, and he wants you to be truthful. So you need to, to watch yourself. The third thing was hands that shed innocent blood. He didn't talk about war. He didn't talk about killing somebody that had been pronounced and judged by government. He's not. He said shedding innocent blood. Purity murder. It's abomination. Me and Mike Cobb, when we were delivering this stuff, or, or we were talking about it the other day, I get little Cooper, his grandson, come up there. And, and every time I see these little kids, I'm thinking, how sick do you have to be to walk into a school and shoot some innocent kids? How did you get so far out that out of no malice, no anger, or anything, you can walk up and kill a child? And, and what allowed you to get that far? Everything that we put into their heads, that's a lie. Because it has. Our kids are being taught, trained, and brainwashed by a lot of the things that we think we have to have. And that's why some of these video games, they don't need to play. You need to limit how much time they spend in social media. Oh, my goodness, preacher, you're just crazy. Good babysitter. It is a good babysitter, but who's babysitting your child when you're doing that? And what are they watching? But there, if you were to trace back these individuals that are doing this, you'll find out parents weren't involved, but somebody else was, and they were teaching them a lie. And God says it's an abomination to do that, to take that lie. I'd say with 99.9% .9 of y'all, y'all would say it's an abomination. You, you, any of you got sympathy for somebody to walk into school and kill a fourth grader? How many of you think it'd be okay to hang that sucker from the nearest tree? I, I really think that might be too good. I think we ought to hang him from his feet and let him just slowly die. 
trying to make an example. But what God said, he said it's an abomination for that individual that, that sheds innocent blood. So he puts haughty eyes, lying tongue, and the shedding of innocent blood in the same category. It's an abomination. But he's got four more. Because he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. You know that guy that went into Uvalde? He didn't wake up that morning and decide he was going. He planned it out. The guy that shot those at the supermarket, he planned it out. The guy that invents a lot of these games plans it out. A lot of the stuff that's being crammed down our children's throats by individuals throughout the government is planned out. They have a plan. For that's is it CRT critical race theory? First of all, anything that says theory means it's a thought. It's not fact. So anytime you see somebody's talking about putting a theory, I don't care what it is, it means it cannot be proven. So it's what somebody else's believe. It's not factual. So critical race theory means it's what somebody thinks it is, which means it's very subjective. But they're creating evil, and they're doing this. God says it's an abomination. So don't be considering things of how to take advantage of somebody. Some of these scams that come up, somebody has thought long and hard how to scam you. Some of them will take events like Uvalde. They were right after that, GoFundMe. Pages started up because somebody thought it's a good way to everybody's gonna want to give. So I'll start me a GoFundMe and I'll keep the money. God despises that. He puts it right there in the same order with shedding innocent blood, a lying tongue, hearty eyes. Then he says, feet that run rapidly to evil. Y'all might as well pick your feet up. I'm going to step on some toes right now. There's lots of things we could talk about this being real bad. But you know one of the, the greatest things is when somebody starts a little lie about somebody in the church. And people, oh, really? Saw the preacher eating lunch with this other woman. Uh-huh. Must be something going on. Put a little seed of doubt in there. Folks, I eat lunch down there at Rocky Branch on a regular business, and there's several women have sat at my table and eat. They not all eat, not always my wife. But but it was sharing a meal. And we had fun. We talked and visit. And that's all it is to it. But a lot of people love to stir up something. And that's the devil loves to throw that kind of mess out there. And those, to me, are some of the worst lies there is when you try to slander somebody in the church and place a little bit of seed of doubt to tear down somebody's character because people had rather believe the lie 
than the truth. They'd rather think evil. I mean, you could have 50 years of a good reputation. In, in, in today's society right now, you could be the greatest individual and one individual, a, a teenage girl can accuse you of something. And in today's society, that man is guilty and still proven innocent. Now, I'm, I'm dead set against victimization. Now, folks, get this straight. I, I don't believe in it. But just because somebody gets mad and accuses somebody doesn't mean they did it. Best I remember in our Constitution, an individual is innocent until proven guilty. There's a reason why they put that in there. Because anybody can accuse you of something. And I'm going to give you a little example. It makes me mad every time I think about it. A man and his wife, or she ran a daycare, small daycare. Had four or five, six kids, whatever she could. They had a 14-year-old daughter. They were having trouble with a parent and one of the children coming to this daycare. So mama of this little kid that's coming accused the man of sexually abusing her child. Filed a, a, a complaint. The court system went in there and separated him from his wife and his 14-year-old daughter for over a year. She lost her daycare. So all the other kids had to find a new place to go. They lost their business. He lost his job because his job believed the lie. He lost a year with his daughter because one woman was mad because they had made her take her child out of there because she was disrupting everything and was a danger to the other. But they lost it all because one woman made a, fa a false accusation and the system has gotten so overzealous they lost every bit of it. But nothing was ever found. Nothing was ever found. But they paid the ultimate price of losing everything because one individual made an accusation who wasn't a good parent anyway or their kid would have acted better in the daycare. Is that right? But see how we'd rather run to evil? The mindset of a lost generation, we'd rather believe the evil and stuff. And so it happens all through society. God says it's an abomination in his eyes when people do that. And so best stay away from that. Um, 19, a false witness who utters lies, almost identical to the top one. And then one who spreads strife among brothers. Uh-oh. That falls right in there with these others too, spreading that strife, stirring up things. There's been more churches that are very 
active in doing things. That's the one right now I fear the most for this church. It's the one thing we've tried to guard ever since we started it. Because the way a lot of churches govern themselves with uh, business meetings, I've seen I've seen it totally destroy a church because this side wants to do something, this side doesn't. They can't come into agreement with anything or this side is mad at this side because of an event 30 and 40 years ago. I've seen it, folks. I've seen the individual they were mad at be dead and gone. And certain individuals still holding a grudge towards their family to the point that the church couldn't do anything because of strife. I was in a church one time when we voted. A man wanted to give the church $3,000 in propane. In uh, a propane tank, anyway, it was a it was a value of three thousand. And he said, "I want to do this." I'm, he started a propane business. He wanted to do that for the church. This group over here didn't like it because their leader was mad at this man's grandmother-in-law, who had been dead for fifteen years. So, as a typical Baptist church, we brought it up for a vote. And when they defeated this gift and said no, this side stood up and clapped and cheered. It was a sad day, folks. A sad day for a man that loved this church and was had been out of the church because of what they had done. And I'd gotten him back in there. Had been an el- had been a deacon in this church, been out because of this kind of junk, come back and decided I want to do this because I love this church and I want to give them something for free and give them their propane for free, three thousand dollars worth. And this was in uh, two thousand and two. But this side celebrated, and I'm not pointing to y'all. But this side celebrated. Because they defeated that. That's strife. That church had been divided for years. And after I left, they finally had another. Every every preacher that came for years would stay two or three years and would leave because it was a division. It was it's just, you could never get beyond it because one side would take the preacher and say, oh, he's on our side. And everybody would tell, and he was there. I preached on him for six months trying to get him moved from him. Couldn't do it. They finally got one. He just stayed until they split. And then the side that he had stood with fired him. Now, this is a church that ran about 100 people. And they fought. And divided and split and went their different ways and because they could never see the division. It was always somebody else's fault. But that's what happens when people go to fussing and fighting over junk. That's why bar none, 
does a pastor elder program. That's why you don't vote on anything because I don't need to fight. I want your input. I don't worry about membership. I, I mean, your name, we love to have you, but to be truthful, if you show up, whether you're on the membership role or not, I feel like you carrying a major part of it, whether you've joined or not. I, I'm not overly concerned about it. If people choose to go on, then that's fine too. I, but they're not going to come back and tell us how we're going to operate. We built every building, bought everything under the pastor elder program, and we've never had a vote because we don't do it. We're the sides. They just don't. We don't do it. It's 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 and it's worked. Oh yeah, we had a fight over that, but but we pointed that individual out and just said, "Sit over and shut up and behave." Yeah, that's why he, that's why he separates. He sits over by himself. He does not like windows, but we're teaching him to like them. You didn't have to point him out. <laughs> But but that was within the elders, and, and we don't all agree. I mean, even as elders, y'all may think we a bunch of puppets. No, we we hash it out with each other, and we work it out. But we pretty well come to agreement what's best for the church, what do we see we need, and and we pray about it. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you want us to do? And and it's worked. I don't know if it'll work everywhere, but it works for us. So that's the way we do it. That's, and it saves you from having a business meeting. I inform you in January how the finances were for the last year, let you know how much we brought in, how much we spend, where it's going and stuff. And it's work. And and I'm, I don't see any reason to change it. But strife comes in so many various ways and places and it destroys the work of God. And when it's destroying the work of God, it's destroying the witness of God. It's destroying the effectiveness of what God wants to accomplish because of strife. And most of the time, it doesn't amount to nothing. Had a preacher tell me one time, he knew a church is split over donuts. They had a fellowship. One family always made uh, the glazed donuts. Another one made the chocolate donuts. Every uh, been going on for years. And guess what? No, they didn't reverse. But the glazed folks made chocolate one Sunday, and people bragged on their chocolate donuts, and they split. I mean, they didn't split that day over there. But it caused dissension. And then the next thing you know, they're mad at each other. They're fighting and fussing over each other. Because, and it, it, he, he traced it back to what they got mad about. And it was over, this group brought chocolate-covered donuts. When they should have brought glaze like they always bring. Now, y'all laugh at it. But. When people get their mind off of what God wants to do, we can easily get distracted to the point a small thorn festers up into a major rift. 
I'm going to almost say there was some stuff, there, there was already some riff going. But this was the, this was the little prick that really got it going. Because they weren't comfortable in who they were. Their, their, I would say their recognition was in their ability to make donuts and not who they were in Christ. It's the same way with the other. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But do you see how that strife destroys churches? You don't see a lot of strife in a church that's dying. But you'll see strife rise up in churches that are growing and reaching people. And that's the danger. And that's that's my biggest fear as we're growing and moving is that. And that's why I want you to be on your guard. I want this church to be on the guard to realize that, that it's not beyond that. And there's certain decisions sometimes you have to make that people may not always agree with, but for safety's sake, there's certain things have to be done. And when I make some of these decisions, I don't always tell the whole congregation the whole story because it doesn't need to be that way. There's certain things that just need to be kept between me and the elders and you've got to have a certain amount of trust in us that if we do something because sometimes you have to ask some people to leave sometimes you have to do some things that you don't necessarily want to but we try to protect the integrity of the church we try to protect your children. And we try to keep it away from y'all so that you don't always understand it. Sometimes there's some kids that I don't want coming to our youth program. I've got hope for all of them. But if we've got thing, people, certain kids that are being destructive and, and are a danger to your children, I, I, I tell them you you got you can't be here, or I'll lose my good ones and end up with these bad ones who are not going to do anything anyway. And so there's there these are issues that we try to deal with in house without everybody knowing about. And that's why I don't like Facebook. It's not that I, I don't like Facebook. I don't like what can happen on it. Because it can be a good tool or it can be a bad tool. Because y'all know, because y'all more of y'all own it than I am. Some people will say something on Facebook that they wouldn't dare look you in the eye and say. They wouldn't dare accuse you of something. But they'll put it out there. And it doesn't matter whether it's true or false. There's some folks who take it and run with it. And you know that's true. And it began a long time ago. In my generation, it was called party lines. And and out with me and out in the woods where me and Carla was raised, lots of them old folks was on there, and there was a lots of stuff shared on that party line. And uh, every now and then, if you were talking, you could hear it click, 
Uh-huh. One of you old ladies is listening to this conversation. And I've heard Daddy feed them some juicy stuff along the way. <laughs> and the person on the other end said, do what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. No, that's the... <laughs> but it, it's still going on. It was going on before telephones at all. I mean, but the strife, that's what God hates. And the churches need to be aware of that. And that's the very final one. It's an abomination because those individuals are destroying something God has called out to be special. And that's the church and that's your relationship with him. And if you look at all seven of these, they're very destructive. And they destroy groups of people, not just individuals. Abomination. So be careful with your eyes. Be careful with your mouth. Be careful with your plans. And be careful what you do. Because they're an abomination. Y'all going to have to listen quicker. It's 15 to late. But I'm going to tell you, I'm real proud of y'all. It seems like here lately, y'all managed to bless me in various ways and I look around and I'm thankful because I've been in a lot of churches that uh, couldn't get anybody to do anything and uh, there's just been a lot of blessings flowing my way and, and various things and what you do and your love for one another your willingness to work and the little gestures y'all do towards me and my family mean a lot. I don't like to point people out, but um, I've had little gifts done and had one done last night. So I passed it on. But it means a lot just because uh, of who you are. But I know there's some stuff heading our way. Because Satan does not like a church that's doing what's going on right now. But you know what? He can't stop us. And if we're making him mad, that's making me happy. But we got to be careful because he won't hit the strong ones. He'll find the little weak one. He'll find the one that's struggling. And that's the one he'll try to come at. And they will try to get others to come into that situation. That's when you say, the preacher taught us about that strife, taught us about that line, taught us about that, pride, that prideful eyes. We need to get away from that. We need to lift up one another. And if, if I'm eating lunch with somebody and you think something's going on, come over and ask me. And I'm going to pick on Rhonda because she came, and for a long time, she came and ate lunch with us at Rocket Brain, her and a bunch of others, and she sat around. And this wasn't aimed at me, but there was a, a, a man made a statement one day that he was going to tell this other guy's wife that he was seeing her, and the man never came back. 
never came back. It was nothing going on. It won't. It was said to be a joke, but it wasn't anything funny about it. And we was in the in 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 the middle of everybody. We have a big time at our little round table, and we visit and we kid and we we learn stuff because there's plenty of good information being passed about at Rocky Brain Store. Some of it may not always be truthful, be a little bit exaggerated now. But if I can't sit down there and visit with people down there, it's a sad day. But people love the little lies. And I married one woman. I'm the best and worst husband she's ever had, and she's the best and worst wife I've ever had. And she's the only one I want because I don't ever want another one. They'd never measure up to what she is anyway. She told me she didn't believe in divorce when we got married, but she said murder was okay. She said, Daddy taught her it'd be odd to be a widow, but don't ever be a divorcee. And uh, I believe that. But I I have no intention. But I, I like to eat with people, and I like to mouth off and visit. Huh? It's not always easy. But it sure doesn't need some busybody spreading stuff around about stuff. But the same way with the church. Just be careful about running to evil and, and listening to something. And, and first of all, Barbara and I have had to trust each other for 44 years. 44 years, nine months. And uh, we could have done something. But I trusted her and she's trusted me and we've we've stuck it out. So when I tell you my first wife was the best wife I ever had, she is. But she's the worst one I ever had, too. <laughs> but she is. I'm the best husband she's ever had and the worst one she's ever had. It just depends on the day. But anyway, God, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for these people. And I pray that each one of us will take these seven things and think about them. And then when we hear people or see things, we'll try to encourage them not to be a part of that. And I do pray against the strife and, and the thing, the attacks Satan's going to do on this church and pray that you uh, allow our eyes to be open to what they are and, and be aware of that. And we'll be strong because we want to reach people. We don't want to deal with any of these issues. We want to deal with the lostness of this world because they need us. And we want to be there for them. So guide and direct us and keep us in your word if we study it and grow in that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. Stay cool.